What's up, boils and ghouls? It's me, your demon dude, Lucifer. And you're listening to 6.66 FM H-O-R-D-E, The Horde. For those of you on the road in your Dragulas, it's a straight shot down the highway to hell. Hands at 10 and 2, unless you gotta take a moment to flip somebody the one. <laughs> I know it's hell out there, so I dug six feet into our library and summoned a little something that's even tastier than a fresh bowl of brains. Today we got the head witch in charge, the Crypt Kitty, the queen of horror herself. I'm talking about none other than Miss Reanimate Her. So stitch those ears back on, cause we're about to pour you a flaming hot cup of that sweet black magic we like to call Coffee Chat of Horrors. And remember, dog will hunt. <laughs> Hey there, and welcome back to another episode of Coffee Chat of Horrors with your horror host, Reanimate Her, just a gal who enjoys horror movies and discussions. This past Sunday on our live taping of CCOH, we spoke about Saw from 2004. And I really love what Saw brought to the horror genre. It's really been quite some time since we've seen a shock uh, shockumentary basically on something like this that went mainstream and what I mean is is films like Cannibal Holocaust, Cannibal Ferox, these films didn't go mainstream because of the content they had in them and they were banned in most countries so that when Saw 2004 came out I was super friggin stoked to see a film of this magnitude and what it was showing mainstream know a lot of the uh, younger people, the younger generation that see this film are going to be like, ah, 2004, Saw, yeah, that's nothing. But compared to what we actually had back in 2004, this was mind-blowing. The the way they created Saw and the visuals that they brought in, I mean, it sparked a genre of uh, shockumentary type of films like this, a shocking and even though it's not a documentary, it's still a very shocking film. And it, it brought on a franchise, which then later influenced numerous other films, including Hostel, which is, oh, my God, don't get me started on Hostel, because boom, that bitch came out of the gate pretty hot and fast. But before I get sidetracked, <laughs> because we all know that is what I do. Let me get into some information about Saw. The budget for this film was around $12 million. It opened at 18 mil in the United States. Now, that's not really a great amount, right? It's really not. But worldwide, this bad boy brought in $103 million while it was in the box office. $103 million. Yeah. Now, the plot goes like this. Waking up in a bathroom, two men, Adam and Dr. Lawrence Gordon, discover they have been captured by the infamous Jigsaw Killer. The men must escape before time runs out. Otherwise, they will face the deadly consequences. When I originally seen this film, it was in the movie theaters. And again, I was blown away, like walking out, remembering, thinking to myself, holy shit, what did I just watch? You know, like... Before Saw, there really wasn't anything mainstream like this. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but I didn't see anything mainstream. And when I say mainstream in the movie theaters of, the, of, of that time. So during my research, I found out that this film was originally intended to go straight to video release. 
And I'm so glad they did a screening with a test audience before even doing that because they received such a positive screening on this. They actually gave it the nod to become a premiere film, which I think if it would have went straight to video, we would have missed out on some really great films, a great franchise. Don't honestly think it would have spawned many more films or sequels after the fact. The fact that, you know, this movie did spawn numerous other films like Hostel, aha, uh -huh, that went mainstream as well. Saw made me feel uncomfortable. Like, oh my God, if I was given the choice to either, you know, dig a key out of somebody's friggin' eyeball or stomach to free myself, would I be able to do it? And that's, that's, that's a hard answer. I mean, I gather, you know, live or die, choose one, right? But if you were to put yourself in that predicament, what would you do? And, you know, it's not far-fetched from something happening in real life like this, if you think about it. We've had serial killers. We've had crazy things happen. So this is something that could actually happen in real life. Maybe not to the extent of the jigsaw killer, but I mean live or die, choose one, could actually happen. As I dug deeper down the rabbit hole that is Saw, I found that this movie was filmed in only 18 days. 18 days! Like, what? Um, I, I've, I've known other movies, and if you've watched my live broadcasting of CCOH, you'll know that there have been movies that have taken months to film. This is 18 days, and this film was phenomenal phenomenal. As I was digging further, I found out through interviews that the creation of this franchise was influenced by a very low budget approach of the Blair Witch Project, which, you know, I've done a CCOH on the Blair Witch a bit back. I might bring it to this podcast because the Blair Witch has and did break boundaries when it came to found footage films. It's not a film that I actually liked or cared for, but you have to give credit where credit is due. It did break some boundaries for found footage. Finding out that this film was influenced by a low-budget approach, I found that pretty friggin' amazing. And I also, while finding low-budget, again, their budget was only $12 million. We've known movies to have such bigger budgets than this, or even lower budgets than this, and do really well. But for $12 million, the concept of the movie was technically supposed to be filmed through a perspective of a security camera inside an elevator. Yeah, inside an elevator. I think that would have changed the whole aspect of the film. And while I was looking that up, I found out through another interview with uh, Juan Alan Juan that there was two other concepts to this film that almost won out. Yeah, I'm going to go over that for you. The very first concept was two guys in a room and a dead body on the floor. One was an idea for a movie about astral projection. And then the second one was about a guy who goes to sleep at night and wakes up in the morning with some scratches on himself. He notices that something weird is happening to him at night. So he sets up a video camera while he sleeps. And this kind of reminded me of another movie that came out a long after saw came out and that movie if you can guess paranormal activity 
You take the concept of paranormal activity and what they created there and look at the original concept of what Saul was supposed to be. That's exactly it. A man who's sleeping, wakes up in the morning, finds scratches on himself, finds things disarrayed, so he sets up a video camera to capture it all to see what the fuck is going on. Personally, I did not like Paranormal Activity or the franchise. I think it sucked. But this is not here nor there, so we're not going to get into that because, you know me, and getting off topic. Um, now, uh, another interview that I was reading with James Wan and Leigh Wannell, um, this film was started out as a short film, like one of the short stories that you would find on YouTube. Uh, it went around Hollywood because the story was written in 2001. And uh, the short film went around Hollywood for quite a while. And it eventually caught the eye of a very small studio called Evolution Entertainment, who then picked it up and later formed Twisted Picture Horror Division after the movie's commercial success, which this movie did really, really well. Uh, which is awesome to see that a short film from 2001 was sold to Hollywood and they decided, somebody took a chance on it and decided, hey, we're going to make a full feature out of this mother. And they did. And my God, was it amazing. The practical effects in this film were pretty outrageous. Now, I know you can't go around getting realistic human innards, so you have to do for the next best thing. And that is pig guts. Yeah, the perfect substitute for human insides. <laughs> now, um, I'm sure that the special effects team could have created realistic insides of a human. But again, on a budget of only 12 million, where do you put that money at? So stopping off at a butcher and grabbing pig in intestines and uterus. Yeah. So you remember the scene where Amanda has to stab her cellmate and she has to dig through his guts to find a key to reverse the bear trap that's on her head. Uh-huh. To make that look was mainly pig uterus. Uh, there was some intestines in there as well. And I couldn't imagine the smell of what that would have been like, even though they were on a set. Now, the set in question was actually filmed inside of a warehouse because the warehouse was cheaper to get instead of actually building a full-on set. Now, I'm going to jump back to the practical effects part and some of the traps before diving into the actual set. Now, some of these traps, they had to test on watermelon first to see how dangerous they were. And they did just that and found that the majority of them were super dangerous and would actually take someone's head off. So they had to be very careful in placing the actresses and actors inside these contraptions of torture. I don't know about you, but even in pretending, I don't think I would want to put that reverse bear trap on my head. I mean, would you really want to? I, I know it was a film, but we all heard accidents happen. Right now, here's a little tidbit for you about uh, the jigsaw puppet. Did you know that the jigsaw puppet wasn't just bought in an antique store or made for Hollywood by a prop company? No, James Wan stitched jigsaw together himself. According to James Wan, the construction of Billy the puppet's face for the film involved clay, 
paper mache and black ping pong balls with the irises painted. Paper towel rolls were used internally, and to make him move, the puppeteers pulled him along on a fishing line. How crazy is that? He created this own puppet from his own imagination and brought it to life on set. And I will tell you, Billy is one creepy puppet. I don't know about you, but when you see that, doesn't it go like, ooh, I wouldn't want to run into that in a dark room. Now getting on to painted puppets. Uh, this film contains many references to the films of old Italian horror and giallo director Dario Argento. Dario Argento is one of my favorite giallo directors. Uh, the creepy painted puppet is a reference to Argentino's Profondo Rosso in 1975, while the unseen killer's black gloves are one of Argento's trademarks and can be seen in almost all of his films. Which is true because one of my most favorite films is Tenenbrae, another awesome giallo film that you can check out on Shudder, uh, little warning, I am in no way, shape, or form affiliated with Shudder. I just love the streaming software, uh, the streaming site for all of my horror needs. Definitely take a look up of some Jallo. I think you will love it. Now, let me get into a little of a background about Jigsaw and how Jigsaw came to life. The character of Jigsaw was a result of migraine headaches. After film school, Wanell was working a job he disliked when he began having terrible migraine headaches. If you've ever had a migraine headache, you know how horrible they are and how scary they can be. We also know how our own brains work and how we automatically diagnose ourselves with some kind of crazy life-ending disease. Uh, so, uh, convinced that he may have a brain tumor, Juanel went in for an MRI and he began fantasizing about what he would do if he was told he only had a limited amount of time to live. He later applied this to Jigsaw, pondering what this psychotic person would do if they only had so much time, and what his victims would do if they were placed in an even more dire situation. I gather you can see where uh, Kramer, John Kramer, is given a brain tumor while spending time in neurology ward for anxiety and headaches. You can see why Wanell gave Kramer this kind of illness. Uh, Wanell also has stated that he said that undergoing numerous tests and expecting bad news made him reflect on his own mortality. He used this experience in creating a character who had only a few years to live. Now, in our everyday lives, we hear of cancer and other terminal diseases that people catch. I could not imagine being given a set time of life and then being told, hey, by the way, in a year, you're not going to be here. I mean, as a sane person, well, I'd like to think that I'm a sane person. Um, I think I would try to live my life to the fullest and not uh, try to hurt other people in, in my take. But enough with that doom and gloom. I want to talk about the set of uh, Saw. Now, again, it was filmed entirely in a warehouse with the only few parts being taken place outside of the warehouse. They didn't have tons of money to go and have a, uh, elaborate sets created. So a lot of the rooms in the warehouse were repurposed and redressed for the film. There are not many scenes on the outside of the warehouse again, cause they couldn't afford in the budget, 
So a lot everything that you see there was from a warehouse, even from the parking lot and the garage outside. Now there is a scene in Saw where there is a car chase, right? Now the car chase, I thought this blew my friggin' mind. If you rewatch this, which I know you probably will, remember the car chase scene. Make sure you look for it. The car chase scene was filmed in a garage of a warehouse by turning off the lights, adding some fog, and shaking the cars while filming from the front. This totally blew my mind when I was replaying the film in my head and that scene. I had no idea watching the movie for the first, second, third, or fourth time that it wasn't a real car chase. <laughs> this goes to show you what movie magic can do. Now, talking about movie magic, um, the surveillance camera footage that you see of Adam and Dr. Gordon in this movie, it was shot separately and then spliced together during post-production, which is the reason for the strange angle of the two characters in the footage. Which is so strange to see because you never noticed that they were filmed in different location. Like, it was the same location, but they were not in the same room together. Uh, Dr. Gordon was shot by himself, you know, doing his line, and then Adam was shot at another angle doing his line. And then the editing, which was phenomenal, they were able to splice that together without it making looking without it making looking too strange, which I thought was really awesome. Uh, another thing that I found, Tobin Bell, Jigsaw Killer, um, I found out that the entire time that the scenes were going on and you seen the man lying face down in the blood in the bathroom. Do you know that was him the entire time and not one dummy was used? Now that is some sort of friggin' dedication on his part. Like, oh my God, those are some pretty long scenes in there. If you go back and watch it, be mindful of that. Now, I don't want to keep you guys on here too long, so... I'm just going to leave this for you for something to think about. Dr. Gordon states that Jigsaw technically isn't a murderer, that he finds ways for his victims to kill themselves. He is right because Jigsaw technically never killed anyone himself, and, and he didn't. However, he could still have been charged with second-degree murder for each of his victims that died. And how? Well, in the United States, there is a statute that allows someone to be charged with murder even if they didn't actually intend to kill someone. Normally, if someone's reckless actions unintentionally cause a person's death, they are charged with involuntary manslaughter. However, when someone's actions go beyond reckless and they do something that puts another person in a situation where their death is a likely outcome, they are doing what is known as showing a deprived indifference to human life. It's called deprived indifference murder. By putting his victims in a situation where the likely outcome will be their death, Jigsaw would have been charged with multiple counts of second-degree murder under that statute if he had been apprehended. Kind of gives you something to think about when it comes to serial killers or cult killers or leaders in, in real life, do they actually commit any murder themselves? Real good instance is Charles Manson. He technically didn't murder anybody, but he did have other people do it for him. Also know that I've watched uh, Spiral recently in Discord and I do have a YouTube review 
on Spiral. I plan on doing another CCOH after dark here on the podcast about Spiral and how that universe is crazy in itself. But I also want to leave you with this. John Kramer always gave his victim the chance for redemption. You know, do you have what it takes to live? Are you going to do what it takes to keep your life? That is something that I thought was very important in the franchise. And then when we come into Spiral, it completely changes. But that is something I'm going to leave for my next episode. If you'd like to get in contact with me, whether you want to chit-chat about something, you have an idea that you'd like to see on the podcast or on the live broadcasting, you can contact me at biz at reanimateher.com. You can also get in touch with me on TikTok at reanimateher, as well as Instagram and YouTube as reanimateher, and over on Twitter, reanimateher, but with an underscore at the end. If you would want to be on my show as an interview on the podcast or the live taping, you can also hit me up on those following locations. I would love to hear from you. I would love to pick your brains and I would love to have you on my show, whether you are a filmmaker, comic book writer, if you do anything in the horror industry, or even if you're just a horror fan and want to chit chat horror, please get in touch with me. Anyways, my creepies, until next time. I will slash us all later. Bye-bye.